Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. All right, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Hey, guys. Bring it all together here. It's really good to be with you guys again this morning. Really great to have you. Welcome to Solus. My name is Andrew. If I haven't met you yet, would love to. And uh, want to just, yeah, welcome everyone this morning into our uh, gathering. Uh, if you're new to Solus, the name Solus comes from the Latin phrase Solus Christus, which means Christ alone or only Jesus. And that is pretty central to who we are as a church and what we're about. We're a community of people driven by a desire to see it be all about Jesus. Uh, in our lives, in our church, in our world, we're just really all about Jesus-centeredness, and we think he's worth everything. And uh, we're seeking to learn about him, follow him here in the 21st century, following his ways from years ago, but are, are as relevant as ever, and to live for his glory. So that's a little bit about us. I want to welcome everyone. Uh, we had a, a pretty exciting week this past week. We had a full day yesterday. A lot of our guys, I see a little sunburn going. It's a good thing. Uh, this past week, we had two really great events. We had our Jesus and Art women's event. Let's celebrate that one first. That was a ton of fun. Uh, about 40 women at the NOS home for that. And it uh, looked like a really sweet time of connection and community through a kind of a creative medium. And then yesterday, we had our men's golf fellowship. Let's celebrate that as well. That was a ton of fun. Yeah, we can golf clap that one, as we usually do. Uh, that was a, a really sweet time up there in Lake Worth. Uh, around 50 guys, uh, we were up there. And I still feel like I'm there. Like, we just got home last night. It was kind of a long day. Um, so we're relying fully on the Holy Spirit this morning. I'm a little tired. Um, when you play as bad as I do, you get really tired. That's actually, because like the more you have to hit it isn't a good thing. And I hit it, anyway. Uh, so <clears throat> we had a lot of fun though. It was a sweet time. Um, well, here's what we do to, to kind of start our gathering before we get into our Bible study. Uh, we want to just go over a couple things happening in the life of our church and give you a couple clear uh, first steps and, and action items uh, into the life of our community. This Sunday gathering is really just one of many rhythms that we have as a church following Jesus together. Uh, and so if you have your phone, here's what you're going to do. You're going to scan the QR code either on the screen or on the seat back in front of you. And if you would please humor me and do that, you'll be able to follow along with what I'm uh, sharing here. But as you scan that QR code, it's going to take you to our events page. If you've downloaded our, the Church Center app, uh, it'll take you to the app. And you'll see a handful of different events and ways to connect with us. You'll see uh, first at the top, uh, if you're new, a connect card that you can fill out just to let us know you were here today. That just basically says, hey, I came to your church today. What's up? And it's a place for us to make a connection there and begin to, to help you out uh, if you're looking to get more involved. Um, you'll also see a newsletter sign up. You can get dialed into our weekly newsletter that goes out every Monday through that. Uh, and then you'll see a bunch of other events happening, and we want to feature three of them. So our three featured announcements for this Sunday. Our, our first our welcome to, is our Welcome to Solace lunch. Uh, that's happening on Sunday, November 12th at 12 p.m. Uh, this is essentially the first step for anyone new to our community. Uh, if it's your first time here, even if it's like your 10th, 12th time here, even if you've been here for a while, uh, this is really that first step of entering into uh, our, our community. And, and I, I use that language intentionally. Uh, we create a Welcome to Solace uh, lunch because we want to lead relationally as a church. So if you're new here, 
we want to provide a space to, to welcome you into our, into our church and really just meet you. Uh, for us to meet you, you to meet us, and really kind of help uh, kind of guide the way from there. And so, uh, again, newish, sign up for this class. It's in a couple weeks, and uh, it's going to be a sweet time. Lunch is provided. It's just right after church, right down the road here on Spanish River. We have our church ministry center. We'll host you there. We'll feed you, and we'll hopefully uh, help guide the way uh, into whatever next steps you may have. So sign up for that. All right, next thing is our fall fellowship. Super excited about this. This is now our second annual. We're that official now, okay? We're no longer just a church plant, okay? We have annual things, all right? Like a real church, just kidding. Um, it's our second annual fall fellowship, all right? And so uh, this is the second year of us doing this, cr- uh, creating, again, another space for connection and community. You know us. We're a church that meets in a middle school. We got to be extra strategic about how we can create opportunities for fellowship and connection. So we do things like meet in homes, coffee shops, and public parks. That's how we do it. So El Rio Park South, a great little park there off Dixie and 18th Street is where we're going to have our second annual fall fellowship. Uh, It's going to be different this year. It'll be kind of a morning time thing. So a 9 to 12, come spend your Saturday morning with us. Uh, If you'd like to bring some sort of brunch item, I will eat it. So make sure you consider that. Uh, You can sign up for that as well. There should be a link for that in the announcement there. And there's going to be fun for everyone. So this is just a great way to celebrate fall in Florida, you know? By faith, right? It's kind of like we walk by faith, not by sight. You don't see a lot of fall except for the pumpkin spice lattes that are out there. And so we're going to, in heart and in practice, celebrate the fall here um, with a fellowship. It's going to be sweet. Bounce houses and stuff for the kids. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, last thing is Operation Christmas Child. I, you know, I'm so torn over Operation Christmas Child. This has nothing to do with the incredible stuff that that ministry does. But because they have to collect these boxes early And it forces me to use the word Christmas in October. And I'm struggling with that a little bit. Okay, nonetheless, let's get over that. All right, Uh, Christmas is, it's kind of coming. It's around the corner. How many of you guys are actually excited about that? I'm just curious. Like, you look at Christmas coming down the horizon and you're like, okay. How many of you guys are looking at Christmas and you're like, take longer? You're not, you're like, okay. Any of you, any of you uh, listening to Christmas music currently? I mean, any of you sinning currently listening to Christmas? Anybody doing that? That's good. All right. Well, every year we take the opportunity around Christmas time to partner with Operation Christmas Child through Samaritan's Purse, a ministry that provides um, joy to kids all around the world that we would consider to be underprivileged, that, that uh, in a lot of ways don't know what it means to be cherished, valued, and loved, especially in the form of something so simple as a Christmas gift. And so Operation Christmas Child is basically packing a shoebox and showing them uh, what it means to be valued and loved with special attention for them on the holiday season, also to remind them that they are valued, cherished, and loved by God, who loves them, created them. And so uh, partner with us in that. You'll see some shoeboxes back there. Grab one, one per family, uh, and then you could bring it. Obviously, you can submit more than one shoebox per family, but we've got, I think, only about 100 of those. And so make sure you partner with us for that. We've got a collection for that is over the next couple weeks. I know some boxes have already started coming in, and so... Yeah, just some stuff going on. All right. Um, For now, that's it. You'll see some other stuff happening. A young adults event this coming Wednesday. A couple other things. I think Alpha's still in full effect, full steam ahead. Uh, Formation groups are happening. A lot of cool things happening in the life of our church. And uh, yeah, it's really cool. My name's Andrew, and I'm really happy to be here, is what I'm trying to say. All right. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Why don't you turn there in your Bibles with me. 
And once you've turned there, you can stand with me this morning for the reading of God's word. Don't worry, you'll sit down once we're done with that. But in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to invite up Renee is going to come to lead us in our scripture reading this morning. We've got to get a new mic stand. That happened last week, too. Um, I think it's down here. This is where it's struggling. There we go. It's spiritual warfare is what it is. Hold on. You might need to hold it, Kyle. We'll celebrate you for it. Okay. Oh, perfect. Even better. All right. Ephesians 6. Uh, Renee is going to lead us in our scripture reading. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. This is the word of the Lord, to which we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Well, Father, again, we collectively turn our attention to you. We are here, not out of obligation. That wouldn't be worth our time. We're not here, hopefully, out of guilt, like we have to be here. God, we're here out of opportunity. We're here because you're here. And your disposition and your heart towards us is that of good and love and blessing. You know us. You've created us. You love us. And as your church, we are are here to sit and rest in that this morning. Believing, God, that you're still working, that you're still speaking. You're still involved. Sometimes it's difficult, God, to identify you in our lives, to trust that you're working, that you're there. We pray this morning, God, that you would change some of that in us, that you would alter our our expectations, that you would grow our hearts, that they would increase in expectation and love and hope and faith and trust in you. And we, we come to you right now with that expectation. And we just say, God, as we draw near to you, your word says that you draw near to us. So help us, Lord, today not just draw near to you with our lips. We just want to draw near to you even now in a time of prayer. We draw near to you with our hearts. Not because we deserve to draw near, but because you bring us and you call us to. So we come to you, God, and we ask that you would minister to us this morning, that in the way that only you can, in this mysterious way that you even communicate through the preaching and and teaching of your word, we just ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and move and speak and lead. We ask God ultimately, too, for ears to hear what it is that you want to say to each of us individually. We're here for you. So Jesus, speak to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. Well, for the past really 10 months, the better part of this year, we have been walking through the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians, originally a letter penned by the famous Apostle Paul, is written from Paul's perspective as more Pastor Paul to a young church like ours, Ephesians is written to a church like ours, the church at Ephesus, that is 
uh, living in a context that makes it difficult to really trust in the truths of Jesus. And Paul is writing to this church, encouraging them to remain in their positions, to stand strong and to stay rooted in the truths of Christ over their lives. That's really the big idea of Ephesians. And you see that in almost every verse or section. The book of Ephesians is all about that two-word phrase. What's the phrase? Come on, we know it by now. Okay, that's depressing for me. I'm just going to say, I work really hard on these sermons. I just want you to know that. Let's try this again. What's the two-word phrase of Ephesians? In Christ. I knew you knew it. All right? In Christ. In Jesus. That's like the big idea of Ephesians. Like where you're at. Who you're in. The new position you and I have received through the gospel of Jesus. And Paul is like talking about all the aspects of that. And here, in in this final section of Ephesians, believe it or not, we've gotten to the final section of Ephesians. But don't be in too much of a hurry because we'll be here for an extended period of time. Now, in this final section of Ephesians, Paul is, is speaking about this idea of warfare in Christ. Warfare in Christ. Uh, this is still the same theme as, as last week. This is part two. Uh, we're going to continue along this, this theme as we're studying these things. I just want to tell you, like, I don't usually wake up and think to myself, I can't wait to get to church and talk about things like, you know, the devil. What, you know, what do I want to teach on? You know, if we were a topical kind of based church that did like, you know, inspo TED Talks, I probably wouldn't be like, all right, this is a four-part series on the satanic forces of the devil, all right? And why you're wrestling against evil forces at your workplace. You know, like I probably wouldn't lean towards that. It's, by the way, why we let the Bible set the agenda for what we study, amen? We follow through the scriptures, allowing God's word to lead us into thinking and faith and life and practice. And as we're doing that in Ephesians, here's, here we are. In Ephesians 6, last Sunday I got home from church, and Evie was there, my, my seven-year-old, and she was rummaging through the pantry, and she was like in this like kind of creative, bubbly mood. She gets in these like creative, bubbly moods. She's made in my image in a lot of ways. I get in these creative, bubbly moods. And she's like, Dad, did, she was in the pantry, and she goes, Dad, did you teach on Cain and Abel at church this Sunday? I guess that's what she studied in, the, in her class. I was also wondering what she was thinking about, like siblings killing other siblings. Anyway which is jacked up, but I was like, no, and then she goes, I was like, no, and I wasn't going to be like, no, I was talking to, you know, teaching about spiritual warfare, you know, so I was like, no, and she's like, well, what'd you teach on, which is net, like, I would love that I get home every Sunday, and my kids go, dad, what did you, did you preach the power of God today in your message, what, what were you, what did the Lord have on your heart this Sunday, not yet, but Evie goes, well, what'd you teach on, and I'm like, what how do I say? So I go, the devil. That's what I say. I go, I talk about the devil. And she stops what she's doing and she looks at me with this disappointed look. Like, why would you do that, Dad? Why would you teach about like she was upset? She thought I was doing something wrong. She's like, you're supposed to teach about Jesus, not the devil. So anyway. I think sometimes we can feel that way as well. Um, maybe you find yourselves, we talked last week when it comes to the topic of spiritual warfare, uh, we looked at C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which describes kind of two errors and two camps that we can fall into with warfare. Uh, One camp is the camp that he calls the magician. The magician is the person that is like awkwardly, strangely, cringily obsessed with the devil. 
And it's like you talk about him too normally and too often and you blame everything on him and it's freaking people out, okay? That's who he calls the magician. It's like too high a view, uh, this mystical view, this kind of confusing understanding of the devil. Uh, The other response is he calls the materialist view. And the materialist is only able to conclude and to, um, to understand the broken systems and the broken things of this world in material forms. Does that make sense? Like there's no way for the materialist to ever ascribe any evil. In fact, it's rare to even use the word evil. It's usually dysfunction or, or some sort of structural brokenness, which does exist. But, but that person usually struggles to attribute anything to evil, let alone to supernatural evil, especially the a 21st century sophisticated American. We're so, you know, beyond the spiritual world in our day. This stuff can be hard for us to grasp. Uh, where, where scripture is going to lead us to a more balanced place in that. Would you agree? We, we want to make sure that we don't have too high a view of the devil, that, we, that we're not magicians, that we're not overly obsessed with there being a devil behind every rock and a demon behind every problem, okay? Uh, sometimes... We're the problem. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes the issue isn't the devil. It's that you need a good nap. You need a good meal. You need to change some of your habits, okay? Now, on the other hand, we don't want to be so naive to think that there's not more to the story of your life, that there's not more to the world than just what's material and physical. This is where Paul is leading us to have a balanced understanding of these things, and we are wise to heed his counsel. Uh, Let me go over a couple key ideas. We laid a foundation, an introduction to this topic last week, and I'm gonna continue along that same vein. Um, Today is gonna be kind of just like Bible verses and some big ideas about this stuff. Um, I don't have like my traditional Baptist sermon, which is an intro, three points, and and an outro. Um, I apologize if you're like a big outliner. You're gonna hate this today. Hopefully not, though. In Jesus' name, you're going to love it. Okay. Here are a couple of the key big beginning ideas we established last week just to give a refresher to know where we're headed from this point forward. So big key ideas that we established from Ephesians 6 last week. First, uh, we got two slides here. First uh, was this idea that Scripture gives us that there is more to life than what we can see. That's what Paul is teaching, that there's more to life than what we can see, that there is this spiritual world behind the physical. This is like a summary on Ephesians 6, 10 through mostly 12, that there's more to life. There's a spiritual world behind the physical, that beyond the material world, there's a spiritual world. And often um, what we see is that Paul is talking about how often what's happening in the physical world is a mirror of a conflict between good and evil in the spiritual world. This is, again, tough for us to understand. I don't know about you, my mind immediately goes to like stranger things or the upside down, like this upside down world of things mirroring what's happening in the natural. But, but listen, uh, though, though um, a lot of folklore and fiction uh, can kind of be dismissed as, as magical and, and these fairy tales, uh, a lot, there's a lot of truth to the common grace understanding in history of how the world works. And this is foreign to a lot of Americans. This isn't foreign to the ancient world. It's also not foreign to many cultures around the world. Uh, In fact, our culture is actually growing more and more in tune and interested in the spiritual world. It's, I would say, just not the right one. Uh, But this is something the Bible plainly teaches, that there's a a spirit, the world is more than just stuff. There's a spiritual world, uh, and there's, uh, within the context of that invisible world is an invisible war. Good morning. Welcome to church. There's a spiritual battle going on in the cosmos. 
Uh, oftentimes in scripture, God will give people eyes to see this spiritual battle. Have you noticed these stories? Whether it's Daniel, in the book of Daniel, he has eyes to see the spiritual conflict going on behind the scenes. Um, whether it's, or Elisha's servant, that's one of my favorites, where God opens Elisha's servant's eyes to see the chariots of angels and this army of hosts that's actually battling. Uh, man, if we could only just see what God sees sometimes. Have you ever sensed that too? You ever had that feeling like there's more going on here than what's going on? You ever felt that way? Sometimes we sense that. Sometimes we see that with our hearts. But this is a, a biblical reality. There's conflict. Um, life is often a mirror of what's happening there. Now let's kind of continue to build on this. As followers of Jesus, the Bible teaches that with this spiritual conflict, we are on the front lines of that battle. That's the language used there in the scriptures that Renee read to us. We're called to put on the armor of God. It's like report for duty. You know what I mean? It's like get suited up. You're in a battle. You're a soldier. Paul says that in 2 Timothy, that as followers of Jesus, our goal is to please him who has enlisted us as a soldier. We're not to get caught up in the civilian affairs of this life because there's a lot at stake. We're in a spiritual battle. The question is not if you're in a battle, it's if you're fighting. If you're fighting. Now, the context of the battle, we established this last week too, is everyday life. This is where the magician needs to chill out a little bit, okay? It's everyday life. There's not these, uh, you know, this, the, the, the devil is not just um, manifested and attributed to big you know, uh, spiritual warfare is not just the contest, uh, context of these, like, big, scary events. Uh, Paul is, is writing about spiritual warfare here in the context of marriage, family, and work life. I mean, what a context for the spirit. I mean, that's probably, by the way, listen closely, that's probably where you face most of your spiritual battles. Is it in your marriage? We look at the beginning of the story, the first place the devil was attacking was a marriage relationship. The next place was a family dynamic. And the next place is a vocational dynamic, what you're building, what you're centering your life around. So, so it's everyday life. And, and this is the last idea that we're going to close out with from last week, and we'll, we'll build on from here. The Bible teaches that in this battle against good and evil, the spiritual realm that mirrors what's going on in the physical, it's a battle that we're on the, called to be on the front lines of in everyday life we're facing this battle. And, and this is a key understanding. This war, this battle, is not against some sort of vague energy or, or, or evil force, kind of this general idea of bad juju out there in the universe. The scriptures teach that we are at war with a real, organized, and death-driven enemy. Sometimes it can be hard for us to fathom this, but I would just posit to you that if you can comprehend what it means to be a, if there's such thing as spiritual good embodied in the person of God, why not could we comprehend the idea that there would be some sort of supernatural evil and a being on that front as well? And that, that's what the Bible teaches, that we're at war with a real, our real enemy is a real enemy. He's named here as the devil a created being, a fallen being, a spiritual being. And he is organized. He has organized forces. He has a third of the angels. He has demonic forces that have certain levels of authority over regions and over, over, over different uh, complexities. And these forces are death-driven. That's the big idea. This is what we talked about. The, the methods, deception, the agenda is death. Now, here's what we need to understand uh, these enemies that we are at war with, this real, uh, organized, 
and death-driven enemy, we need to understand this. That the, the enemy's power, this is a key, uh, we're going to transition now to kind of a new direction. The enemy's power, the Bible teaches here in this passage, is not over, but against the people of God. This needs to settle into our theology and really lock into place. I think this is going to help us out if we get this. We have a real enemy, an organized enemy, whose power, whose power is not over, but against the people of God. And we, we kind of established a little bit of this last week as well. This idea that the enemy's power, we should say this, is no longer over the people of God. Unfortunately, that was our reality. Uh, the Bible teaches this in 1 John 5, 19, that we, that we know that we are of God. And, and this is kind of like a heavy idea. It says, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Uh, this is like kind of offensive, kind of gnarly talk. Jesus came on the scene and he would use this kind of language when he was talking to the Pharisees. He's like, man, you guys remind me of your dad. That's what he would say to them. They're like, well, who's our dad? He's like, the devil. He's your dad, okay? That's who you remind me of. Jesus would use this kind of like really blunt, heavy language, not, again, not to offend, but to tell the truth about the condition, our condition as humanity in our state apart from God. And this is not like a look at them thing. This is us apart from Jesus. In fact, this is the story of the Bible. The Bible is the story of God creating a world and imparting, uh, in creating mankind, God imparted us with a level of authority to carry forward God's vision of beauty and cultivation. The, the vision of, of humanity on earth was that of partnering with God under the authority of God, entrusted with authority from God to work with him for the beauty of the earth, for the good of one another, for life and for his glory. This is the vision from the beginning. But we know that the, the story follows the thread of humanity. Listen, instead of using our authority and power to serve, we used our authority and power to rebel. And, and, and we actually, uh, we were a part of this joint rebellion with these demonic forces. Do we, do we ever think about it that way? Like we partnered with these fallen angels and we call it the fall of man and it parallels the fall of these spiritual beings. We partnered in that, in our rebellion against God. And the result of that is, is us relinquishing our authority to the devil actually. Now follow me here. This might feel like a little bit like VBS. It might feel a little bit over your head. It might feel like VBS, you know, 203, like way advanced. I'm not sure. But the point of this, this is real heavy truth, truthful stuff, that the condition of humanity, the Bible teaches, Jesus himself teaches, is that of under the power or the sway or the authority of the evil one. This is why in the Gospels, when Jesus is tempted by Lucifer, you know that account where Lucifer comes to Jesus to tempt him, and Lucifer says to Jesus, Jesus, uh, he takes him up on this high mountain, he shows him the, the, the kingdoms of the earth, and he says, look at all of this. All of this, from my authority, Lucifer says, you can have this power and authority. I'll, if you bow down and worship me, I'll grant you higher authority here among the kingdoms of man. And, and Jesus doesn't reply with, that's not yours to give. He doesn't say that. Jesus doesn't disagree with the self-affirmed authority that Satan says he has of the world. Jesus says, don't tempt the Lord your God. So even Jesus affirms this, this idea, this heavy idea that through sin and death, that's the, the power that Satan has as a hold over those that he's on top of, that those that he's over, the scriptures teach us that this is that reality. Now here's the good news of the gospel. 1 John 3, 8 says, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might 
destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. We talked last week about a little bit of like spiritual trash talk that Jesus starts doing against the other side. There's some friends here with Jets jerseys on. We're not going to point them out, all right? There's some, some language in scripture. Jesus, one of my favorites is where Jesus talks about the authority that Satan has. And, and really, one of the ways that you can see the story of the gospels is Jesus coming, listen, to buy and give back the authority of the world to the people of God. That's one of the, one of the morals of the story is Jesus comes to defeat Satan, to buy and give back the authority of God's people to reposition them back into their rightful place. So one of my exam, favorite examples of this is where Jesus tells a parable about the devil and it's about like, they were accusing Jesus of casting out demons by demons. And he's like, that doesn't, like that's a logical fallacy is what he says. And then he uses this illustration. He says what he's doing. He goes, um, how, how is, is a man going to, going to uh, steal another man's goods unless he first binds the strong man? If he's going to take someone's stuff, he's going to go and he's going to bind the strong man of the house and then he's going to plunder his goods. Like that's the language Jesus uses to describe what he's up to with the devil. He's like, I'm tying him up and I'm stealing all the stuff that he stole from God. I love that. And that's symbolic of us in our lives. That through the cross, Jesus has bound the enemy and he's rescued and saved us, amen? He saved our lives. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that this is the, the story of our lives as well. Ephesians 2, Paul says, in you he made alive. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You see that there? This was your life apart from Jesus, bound by the direction of culture, the desires of the flesh, and the authority of the prince of the air, he's called. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. Here's the good news, but God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and he raised us up together. Don't miss this. He also raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ. Then the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel over your and my life, that despite the authority we relinquished to the enemy, despite the positions we were in, under his power, Jesus came even when we were dead because of his love, and not only did he save us and revive us, but I want you to see what he says. He also raised us up into the same position that he has. He seated us with him over our enemies. This is beautiful language. It's traced back to Ephesians 1, where Paul describes Jesus being alive and his feet being on the heads of his enemies. Christ raised up alive in power. Uh, This is such an important distinction for us to make, for us to remember what Paul is saying here, that the enemy's power is no longer over the people of God, but don't be mistaken. Though his power is not over you. We should say his authority is not over you. Sin and death no longer separate you from God. Shame no longer has the last word. His authority is not over you, but his power, listen, you better expect that his power is against you. Like it's important to expect so you're not T-boned by life and blame it on God. That his power is against you. 
This is the main idea that Paul is unpacking in Ephesians 6. When he says, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. We're we're those that, we're not under Satan's power, we're victorious in Jesus, but we need to stand what? Against. Let's try that again. We need to stand what? Against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle what? Against, we're almost there, flesh and blood, but there we are. Principalities, powers, more than two people. This, are you against me? Is that what this is? Help me preach, okay? Let's try this. But principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of weakness in heavenly places. Now, you get the idea. Now, a word I want you to remember from this section is the word against, okay? Can we try to, can we try to, okay. You see the language here? Satan's power is not over you, but his power is against you. Now, we are living in what, what the Bible describes. It gives this idea of, of this idea that we as Christians, on the other side of the gospel, on the other side of the cross, yet still on the other side of eternity, we live in what's been called the already not yet kingdom. A good way to summarize the already not yet kingdom is uh, the already part is the part that says Satan's authority is no longer over you, but the not yet part is the part when we come face to face with how many times we haven't stood against him and how many losses we experience and how many droughts of faith we have and how many times we continue to to battle. Um, Now, there's a day coming Let me remind you, let me remind you that there's a day coming where the defeat of Satan will be fully realized. He's got a hot bath coming, we could say, okay? There's a day coming where Jesus, who's come to destroy the works of the devil, where this accuser of the brethren, where the deceiver, the enemy of the nations, where this one will be judged once and for all, no longer free to wreak havoc as he does here on the earth, um, yet here in the meantime. In God's own sovereign wisdom, which we cannot perf- perfectly make sense of, God is part of God's authority being over the devil is that he's even able to use what the enemy is seeking to, to uh, pursue here on the earth. That's part of his authority, is his victory. And even be, being able to, you know, only God can take a mess and use it to clean something up. Do you know what I'm saying? That's God. And so in his own sovereignty, until that day, here's the the context. Um, Satan, can we say Satan's read his Bible? Can we say that? Maybe we can. Maybe we can. I don't know, but I'm saying it. All right, look. Satan knows scripture. He quotes it to Jesus. By the way, it doesn't matter how much Bible you know. Satan knows the Bible more than you, okay? He knows more Bible verses. He quotes the Bible at Jesus. It doesn't mean it's not our weapon, but Satan's read the story. He thought that he killed Jesus. That was his goal, was to always take out the Messiah from beginning to end, from the, from, the, from the first fall of man to Jesus. He was seeking to take out who he thought could be the Messiah. And he lost. He no longer, he no longer has power over you, and he's mad about it. And he knows his certain future. He's mad about that too. So if you think about where we're at in history in terms of spiritual warfare, the context here, you know, He's not a good sport. Do you know what I mean? 
You know teams that are like down 30 points and then they like physically foul the other team because they're angry because they're losing? Yeah, that's the devil, okay? I used the illustration last week of like when someone pulls you in the pool, uh, pushes you in the pool and you grab anyone else around you to get them in the pool with you, okay? You're coming with me! In a lot of ways, that's the imagery we could have in our mind of, of him. Here in the meantime, knowing his future defeat, knowing the past disarming of the cross, Satan is unleashing here on earth his final full force assault against the people of God. Especially if you're a threat to him. Especially if you're not just trying to live to build your own kingdom. He might not bother with you if you're like a check-the-box kind of Christian, actually. You could have your cozy life. But if you're on the front lines, if you're engaged, if you're advancing the kingdom of God as you and I are called to, he's, he's not happy, therefore his power is against us. We're not wrestling, Paul says, against flesh and blood. Uh, the, I mean, remember the word wrestle there, it's hand-to-hand combat. Uh, it's interesting in that culture too, it was described of, of uh, a wrestling form, like an MMA form that, that existed uh, with, with the goal of one person pinning the other down. That's the fight we're in. And Satan's therefore, again, be reminded, his power's not over, but it's, it's against you. Now, how is it that his power is coming against us? And Paul teaches us that his power is coming against us strategically. You gotta hear this. He says... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against. Here's an interesting word that we don't typically use. There is a Wiles Road in Parkland. You know that road? Wiles Road. I've been there in a while. Okay. So stupid. Why'd you say that? All right. That you may be able, thanks Lee, that you may be able to stand against. Notice this. Babe, why is your head down in your hand? Like, come on. Okay. Sorry, I'm just kidding. That you may be able to stand against, notice this, the wiles of the devil. Now, how many of you guys remember the wily coyote? Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, this is a word that's used to describe that of, of a cunning predator, of a scheming tactician. This is what our battle is against. It's not necessarily full force physical power. It's something harder. We're doing battle against a stealthy enemy, a cunning and crafty enemy who has schemes and tactics. Uh, Listen, Satan is not omniscient. We know that, right? He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's also not omniscient. He doesn't have all knowledge of humanity. The angels don't. That's why I love in 1 Peter, the Bible actually says that, did you guys know this? In 1 Peter 1, the Bible says that, that, that angels look on to our lives and our relationship with God and the gospel, and they're like, what is this? What is this created, you know, uh, a species that God so loves and they have this will and desire to, to reject him, and yet God saves them and selects them, and in his grace, it's just, they're like, what's happening here? So there, there's not omniscience. Satan is not all-powerful, nor, uh, nor is he all-knowing. That doesn't make him naive, We could say this, that Satan has had thousands and thousands of years to study humanity. And unfortunately, we could say that in his studies, we have given him a lot of source material, haven't we? Let me say, like, let me me lead with humility here. If Satan just used my life to get to know how to tempt and attack a human, human, he's got a whole playbook just for my life. 
Plenty of source for material. Listen, he's, he's studied. He knows humanity. He knows you. He knows what makes you tick. He knows what tempts you. He knows your insecurities. He knows your temptations. He knows what will trip you up, what will set you off. He knows your vulnerabilities. And he seeks to capitalize on them. He knows your Achilles heels. And he leverages those, especially when you don't see him coming. Now, th- these aren't my ideas. We're teaching the ideas of scripture. It's 1 Peter 5.8 that says, to Christians, followers of Jesus, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about, notice this, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In, in, in the ESV, it's, it's better translated, the word walks about is the, word, is the phrase prowls around. Prowls around. You ever seen like videos of these jungle cats? That you can't see them. They're in like the tall grass. I've seen some videos of some of this gnarly stuff of these tall, the tall grass in Africa and they're hiding and they're, the one second they're out there, the next second they're right here. The ability to be so stealthy. I've never, uh, <laughs> I've never personally owned a jungle cat. Yet, okay, who knows? I had, we did have a cat growing up. Okay, how many, let's do this real quick. Let's divide the room. Dog people, raise your hand, okay? Okay. Now, listen, I want you to, I want you to know cat people. We love you, okay? And if you're really a cat person, you're not going to be afraid. Cat people, raise your hand. Meow, how you doing? All right, let's go. Sorry. How many of you guys like cat and dog people? How many of you guys are like loyal to your camp and you kind of don't like the other species? Ooh, okay, okay. We're not going to let you say which one you don't like, even because it's all cats, right? But anyway, all right. I had, we had a cat growing up, dog and cat growing up. Um, cat was named Tucker. Had a couple dogs, a couple pets. But uh, it's really fun when you have a cat and dog. It's like a fun dynamic. And growing up, Tucker used to prowl around that. Like one of Tucker's habits was he would sneak around the house, and whenever um, one of our dogs, Molly or, or Sammy, our Shih Tzu, who we called Slappy because he looked like a Slappy, whenever, whenever Slappy would come around the corner, there was this part of the house where Tucker, for fun, would, they wouldn't see it coming. He would prowl up, he would jump out from behind this banister, smack Slappy in the face, and run off into the darkness with the devil, um, where he belongs. Now, just kidding. The, the art of, of stealth, the art, of, a, the art, of, the art of, a, of, a, of attack there is the imagery that Peter gives us about the devil, that he is prowling around. And I want you to notice his objective. His goal is to devour you. To consume up any part of life, any part of especially spiritual life. If he can just consume that, if he can... If he can keep you from especially the purposes of God, he finds himself successful. He might even sometimes be content. If he doesn't get you off the team altogether, he's often even content just getting you off the field and getting you on the sidelines, on the bench, seeking to devour. Now, it's in light of this truth that we have a real enemy who's on the prowl, who's cunning, who knows your weaknesses, whose power's against you. Don't underestimate that. 
who might know as much about you than you do. It's because of this reality that the tempter, the accuser, the inflictor of trial. In light of this, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. What a call. Paul's like, you have to fight. You have to. He's, listen, you have an enemy. You have to fight. He doesn't say, go ahead and coast, relax, take time off, ease up, chill out, stop taking that thing so seriously. The idea is like, Paul's like, you have to care enough to start fighting, to get in the battle, to put on the armor, to engage in the war. He calls us to report for duty. Uh, Paul tells Timothy in, in 1 Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. This is where it starts. You've got to have a battle mindset. How do you have a battle mindset? You know you're in a war. You know you're a target. You know you have an enemy. Therefore, employ the mindset of a warrior, of a soldier. Interesting. Um, there's an interesting example of the opposite of this in the Old Testament. A lot of us are familiar with King David's famous scandal. And calling it a scandal is an understatement. It's like mafia-level gnarliness. I mean, every, like, every form of evil, David does it. David uses his, his power, his position and authority, and leverages it selfishly. He takes another man's wife. He lies with her. And then he leverages his authority to cover it up by killing her husband. That'll do it, David. That'll get rid of your sin. Just kill the guy. He does that. Puts him on the front lines. Uriah, a man after God's, uh, God's own heart. You know, we call David that as well. Now, most of us are familiar with that story that David fell with Bathsheba. But are you familiar with the context 2 Samuel gives us the context of what led to, to, let's say this, David losing his spiritual battle. What led to the loss of life, literal life or death was at stake in this loss. And that might be true for you as well. And this is the context of that. It's 2 Samuel 11. It says, it happened in the spring of the year. Notice this phrase, at a time when what? Kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. He delegated the spiritual fight to someone else. He put it on someone else. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbath. Notice this. But David remained at Jerusalem. The reason why David fell is not because he was battling and he lost. That, that's one kind of L. We've all had those L's, haven't you? You lost in the fight. It's a whole nother thing to lose because you weren't fighting in the first place. This is David. We would call him a casual Christian. We'd call him a, a cultural Christian. We'd call him a civilian, not a warrior. And it was that compromise that led to his fall. He wasn't engaged in the battle. He wasn't in the fight. This is the call that Paul has. For us as followers of Jesus, 
when we should be fighting, that we should fight. We should put on the armor of God. And notice, I want you to notice this language, that we might, this is interesting, stand against the tactics of the enemy. Like this is God's goal for your life. There's an enemy, he's releasing tactical assaults on your life. The goal is to be strong in him, to be armed in him, so that you might stand against his assaults. I want you to know that this is not a stand against. This is not like a defensive word. We talked about this last week. It's not like we're like, oh my goodness, there's a devil. Hide! Create a good bunker, okay? Doomsday devil bunker, okay? We've got to do everything we can. To, it's like got to hunker down. This idea of like fearing. No, no, no. That's not what, what the Lord is inspiring Paul to say. The word there, stand against, this is what God has for you and me. The idea there is to stand your ground with the intent of opposing. That's the idea. This is not about defensive retreating. Listen closely. Standing your guard against the enemy is about being protected against the salts as you seek to advance the kingdom of God. As we move forward, we as the church are not on the defense, we're on the offense, but on the offense... As we move forward, we got to stand against what's coming against us. Well, here's a good question. How do we do that? Like right now, you're like brave-hearted up. You're like, let's go. But how, how do I actually succeed? How do I actually take ground? How do I actually stand my ground when the enemy comes? I mean, half of us have already given up because we see this as a losing battle. And so Paul's going to encourage us here. Uh, he, he tells us, how do we fight? We fight in the Lord, is what he says. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He gives a general, and then he gives a specific command of how to do this. Generally, he's like, if you're going to fight, you got to do it in God. This is interesting. Now, Paul expounds on this in 2 Corinthians. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of us, but they're mighty in God. It's an important verse here. So the call of spiritual warfare is not go out in your own strength. (laughs) How many times have we done this? If I can just really mean my commitment to God now, I'll be successful. Okay, I gotta go forward again, you know what I'm saying? I gotta re-re-re-re-re-commit my life to God. It's like, no, no, no. There's no language here about your effort. <laughs> There's no language here about your strength. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Okay? Here's the idea. You have to surrender even to God. You have to surrender to him in the fight. You have to recognize that, that not only is the battle not of flesh and blood, but listen, the weapons are not of flesh and blood. They're spiritual resources that you've got to access. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Uh, And that's what Paul is saying here when he says, be strong in the Lord. Now he says how to be strong in the Lord. He he uses this interesting metaphor that we're going to unpack in the months ahead. He talks about being strong by putting on the whole armor of God. That's how we succeed in the fight. How do we fight? We fight in God by putting on his armor. He says it there at the end, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, uh, in verses 14 down to about 20, Paul is going to use the imagery of a Roman soldier's armor to describe the different ways that we are to defend against. Here's actually what's important, to identify and defend against the attacks of the enemy. That's what we're going to be looking at in more detail as, as the weeks go. 
these different ways that we can identify the enemy's assaults and the ways that we can overcome them. But we close here with this general truth, this general idea about how we fight. We fight through the armor of God. Now, again, here's a definition of what we mean by this, what Paul means by this. The armor of God is a metaphor, listen to this, for how God has equipped us to identify and stand against the schemes of the enemy. So, so, so victory is ours in and through Jesus if we go about the battle the way he's called us to. Does that make sense? Victory is ours in and through Jesus if we go about the battle the way that he's called us to through not the armor of your own strength, not the defenses of your own knowledge, not the defenses of your own commitments and efforts, but through the armor of God. And, and what Paul goes on to describe is these different ways that God has provided for us to be protected. I mean, that's it at the end of the day. It's like it's God's provision. The Bible says that God has given us everything that we need. Let that sink into your heart. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. You You have in him what you need to fight successfully, to stand to remain. You, you have what you need. Uh, and the armor is a metaphor of that. Like, I want to m- mention this. Like, the armor of God is not magical. It's metaphorical. It's not, like, we've made the armor of God, like, okay, when you left the house this morning, did you put on all the magic pieces of the armor? It's like, dang it, I forgot the belt, okay? I forgot the belt. <laughs> Lee's shaking his head. We went to Nashville this week on a, on a ministry trip, and uh, I left my belt, and Lee had a backup belt for me. Thanks, brother. All right? That's, that's not the armor of God. It's not like I forgot to put on my invisible helmet of salvation. Like, it's not like the devil comes up to you. He's like, oh, no, they're wearing the helmet. Dang it, okay? There's the hel- yeah, okay? It's not like that, okay? That's, it's not magical, okay? It's not mystical. It's metaphorical. Listen, it's metaphorical, symbolizing the ways that God has provided for you to have victory. How he's prov- Here's the big idea of the armor. As we looked at the belt of truth, really it's about appropriating the gospel, Standing against the enemy is about taking the truths of Christ and putting faith in them in such a way that we bring them down to our reality and live in them, amen? To actually rest in them. Uh, Another way to understand this is not magical or like this checklist of your outfit for the day. Yo, am I fitted in the armor? What's good, all right? Nah, all right? I had to say nah there, not no. Um, I want you to see the key phrase of this. This is where we close. I'll invite the band to come up and, and wrap us out here. The idea there is it's the armor of God. It's him. It's him. Here's another way to say it. Psalm 62. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved when God gives us instructions, when God gives us provisions for how we're to overcome the onslaughts of the enemy, he doesn't give us a playbook, he gives us a person, he gives us himself. You have what you need because you in Jesus have God. What treasure? Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth there's nothing I desire but you, my flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my life and you're my portion forever. Simplify the battles of your life this morning down to the fact that if God 
is for you. Who can be against you? This is the gospel. You get God. You don't go to Jesus to get heaven. We get to go to heaven one day to get Jesus. The prize of the gospel is the God that we were separated from. He's the prize. And he's yours today in Jesus, even if you haven't earned it. Even if, in the, even if you haven't sought him, he sought you. He loves you. How many can testify today, just in their hearts? As they look back on their battles, they don't look at all the things they did right. Oh, I really well appropriated the armor there. I don't know about you, but when I look back on my life, I have no one else to thank except God and his faithfulness. I just see God as my defense. I see God as being good for me when I wasn't strong in myself. That's our hope. That's our security in the battles of life, that you have him. The Bible teaches us this, that we were created for relationship with God. We were created to walk and know God. And the problem of sin is that we've turned away from God. We've wanted to be our own defense counsel. We wanted to justify ourselves. We wanted to do our battles on our own. So we said, God, we want elbow room from you. And he's had every right to allow us to remain in that destructive place. But he fought for us. He he went to the great lengths of dying for us to reconcile us back to him on the cross where Jesus, God in the flesh, was made sin. The very sickness that separated us from God, Jesus took upon himself so that we could be righteous and justified and forgiven and accepted by God himself so that we could be those that say, I don't have much, but I have God. I'm not much, but I'm in God. I don't know much, but I know God. And he is my defense. He is my fortress. And what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I invite you today, whether you are a follower of Jesus and you need to just double down on the reality that you have the greatest defense you could ever need in him. Or if today you're a, an individual seeking to become a follower of Jesus, that you would rest today, not in what you have to do for God, but you would look to the cross where God did it all for you. You would come to know what it means to not be under the power of the evil one, but you would come to know what it means to be under the power of God. You would give all of your heart and life to him. Let's take a moment to settle this into our hearts with a final song. This is a chance for us to position ourselves in relationship with God, to try to drown out distractions here for this final moment, to ask Jesus to minister to us and remind us of these truths in a deep and personal way. So take a moment to pray and engage with God here.